Today on our podcast, we're welcoming Dr. Stephen Camp. He's a double board certified plastic surgeon in the Fort Worth area. He started his undergraduate career at Texas A&M, went to Texas Tech for medical school, and completed his general surgery residency in the Carolinas healthcare system, and proceeded to go to the University of Utah in the Division of Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery, where he was chief resident and finished his training at the Aesthetic Plastic Surgery Institute for his fellowship. He shortly moved to Fort Worth after, worked in a private practice with a few other surgeons for four years, and then finally opened up his own practice, Stephen Camp Plastic Surgery. Okay, so we'll just start by sharing your journey into medicine, where you went for undergrad, med school, fellowship. Well, Taylor, thanks. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's awesome to see you again, and uh, this is a lot of fun for me. Um, so I think, you know, like a lot of us that get into medicine, it's uh, it's an idea that gets brought to us by, like, our teachers and our parents. And, um, and so for me, that was definitely the case. I remember being, like, 15 or 16 years old, and my teacher was kind of saying, hey, I think this would be a great idea. And I got sent to one of these kind of, leadership forums when I was, you know, in my junior year of high school, and they sent us out to D.C. for a week in the summer, where we go spend time in different hospitals, and we toured the campus at Johns Hopkins, and we stayed on a dorm at the University of Maryland, and we actually met different doctors in the community, and I remember thinking to myself, wow, I mean, this job's got a little bit of everything, right? Uh, you're kind of on the go, the hospital environment had a lot of energy, um, and I was excited by that. I think once it became clear, you know, I wasn't going to be doing anything like playing pro baseball mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, it is that we want to do when we're like 10 years mm-hmm. old when we grow up, I thought that medicine would be a good path. Um, and so I think that started, um, you know, that little uh, bit of interest kind of that, uh, allowed me to explore a little bit more and say, hey, this is something I can see myself doing. Um, and it just felt very different than like normal desk jobs. Said, you know, you know, my dad, he went to a typical brick and mortar office, he did a lot of papers, he turned on a computer, and I just felt like doing something where I could be more on the move uh, would be fun. And what I saw about medicine early on definitely meshed with mm-hmm. that. I don't know if that makes sense. And so that's definitely what I saw. Um, I think, you know, the next thing that you're about to ask as I'm looking at this is, you know, mentors and what you do with your free time. I think having that initial exposure um, was a pivotal moment and then it allowed me to meet people that worked in different fields of medicine. So I spent some time with people that were in internal medicine type clinic settings. And then I spent a day with the surgeon. It was like a light bulb went off. I said, I think this is it. And so it was pretty early. It was actually in college before I even applied to medical school where I felt like that was something that would keep me motivated. Um, I think to have a job, that's the essential thing. Mm-hmm. So it's having exposure and then find something that makes you feel like have a lot of energy. People use the word passion, I think probably too much. Um, but I think see what turns on your creative interests. Um, if you find yourself reading things, more things than, than one type of topic versus another, I think that's a really good indicator. And then when you spend time around people, um, it tells you a little bit about the personalities that you will mesh well with. And I think you know, it's a subconscious thing at first, um, but it's definitely, I think, a real thing. And I guess what happened for me, and I think it probably happens for most people in some way, whether they say it the same way or not. And when you went to medical school, what was it like your first exposure into surgery? When did you decide you wanted to do plastics specifically? Yeah, so I remember going into medical school and my first exposures to medicine were before that. Mm-hmm. So I, I was just kind of happy to be there. Um, <laughs> if, you know, being totally honest, and I was trying to figure out how I could do well, because I felt, you know, obviously that's going to give me the greatest flexibility to do whatever specialty I wanted to do. 
my first instincts, I think, were more surgery. And as I got into things like anatomy and thinking mentally and taking that kind of ability to describe what I'm doing and then see what it is in real life, there was a connection to that that was very different than studying pharmacology. And so for me, I think that the, the human body and anatomy um, was probably my most interesting component to, to study. It's what I wanted to learn the most about. Um, and uh, so I think surgery was a natural offshoot mm -hmm. um, of that type of capacity. And so those are the kinds of things that I gravitated towards. And I, before medical school, exposed myself to some of it. But I will tell you that as a medical student and being closer to it, um, realness of it was different mm -hmm. as a medical student in the operating the first time than when I was a more casual observer in college. And um, it was so different that I actually got nervous. Um, I even started sweating a little bit. <laughs> and I remember my first case, it was a, a case on a, a gynecology service with a, a lady that had a, a bad tumor within the abdomen. And it was a really kind of unpleasant experience for me. And I walked away from that thinking, I'm not sure I'm cut out for this, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of gradually, you know, tempered itself and I adjusted to it. Um, but I think a lot of my classmates, you know, start off with the idea that maybe surgery would be a good fit for them and had an initial first exposure or two to being in the operating room. It was difficult and it made them kind of peel away from it. And I just took an opposite approach to it because I just went back to what did I see myself doing? And I, and I, and I felt like it was something I had to try. Even mm -hmm. if it didn't work out, I was going to be happier trying it out and saying, you know what, bad decision, mm -hmm. fail on my part, I'm going to regroup. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what I ended up telling myself was what will I regret the most? Just kind of just walking away from this and staying comfortable for 10, 15 years down the road going, I wonder if I would have been happier being a surgeon. I just kept revisiting the idea that uh, that was kind of the path I wanted to take. And it ended up working itself out. Yeah. I ended up getting more comfortable. And, <laughs> Look at you now. You know, I did, you know, of surgery residency I wanted to do and fell into plastic surgery after that. And so I think doesn't all line up perfectly, right? You know, so more in life you look for like an apartment to live in, a school to go to. Sometimes it's who you're dating, right? You're trying to make everything check your individual boxes. And it doesn't always do that the exact way that you think it might. Um, so certainly for me, I think everybody that does this, if they're going to be reflective and a way has those hiccups or bumps in the road and you know the things that you push through and just move past you sometimes forget but that one I didn't yeah. um, and um, you know some of the days are long some mm -hmm. of the things are maybe harder than they could be in some other job I might have um, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it you know and I think a long time ago I decided this is kind of the pathway in which I wanted to work So it sounds like you did a general surgery residency first and not the integrated plastics ones that they kind of have these days. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, you know, um, I always turn around and, and look for people when they say sir or doctor because I don't think I'm that old anymore. Yeah. And so now you're asking me a question that immediately makes me feel old oh. because <laughs> when I um, started doing this, um, the pathway into plastic surgery was typically, it used to be through either a pathway of general surgery, ENT, or some other surgical subspecialty. Mm -hmm. In fact, I have friends that did urology before they did plastic surgery, and even orthopedic surgery mm -hmm. um, before they did plastic surgery. So what they used to require was a full residency, and then you could apply for plastics, and that was the way that the training was administered. And, you know, it takes long. Mm -hmm. So my residency was eight years at the time. 
Um, and I think it made me a more complete doctor. And I think, but there's certainly things like operating on the pancreas or the liver aren't necessarily relevant to the operations or you know what I do on a day in day out basis. And so I think everybody realized that and um, integrated or combined plastic surgery programs became popular by the time I was finishing my general mm -hmm. surgery residency. And I would say now more programs are you apply to out of uh, medical school. And when I was leaving medical school, that was a very rare thing. Mm -hmm. um, so, so we lived through that kind of paradigm shift. And um, so I'm kind of, you know, one of the old school, um, traditionally trained, double board certified guys. So I did my full training in general surgery. I did my full, you know, boards in general surgery. And then I did the same thing in plastic surgery to follow that. Um, and for me, that worked out well. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely, the path for most folks these days is if you know you want to do plastic surgery, um, you know, figure out what that is and then, and then go after that first. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think that the pathway for most people now is that. The exciting thing is, is, is that that means that as medical students, um, in particular, you'll probably get more exposure to plastic surgery, which is kind of like this mysterious nook and cranny of subspecialties, if you will. And I think even other physicians sometimes, like if I talk to a pulmonologist or a cardiologist, sometimes they're surprised at what actually goes into yeah. um, my day to day. Um, and so I think it's really important for uh, medical students to have that opportunity. Um, and I think it's really cool. I think it broadens the experience for what medicine can be. Mm -hmm. um, in the future. Um, so I think that's a good yeah. yeah. So what was your aha moment in general surgery residency that you had decided, I'm doing plastics, I'm not doing anything else? Yeah, I mean, I think that when I started, um, I, I call it, you know, did what a lot of students do, which is I tried to be a good student. Mm -hmm. It's basically trying to be a people pleaser. And so you know, um, a lot of the people that were in charge of my curriculum and um, by virtue of being in charge of the curriculum, my future success and pathway um, were involved in either medicine or surgery. And particularly on the surgery side, it was trauma. And so I gravitated towards that, mostly because I wanted to do surgery and I wanted to be thought of as a good student in surgery. And so when I showed up for trauma cases, they were really happy with mm -hmm. me. And you know, um, interestingly, that still kind of holds true today. Whereas a student, I think that you're programmed into those particular pathways more extensively um, than you are into some subspecialties. Um, and so there is a dis disproportionate influence in that. Um, and so I did general surgery and trauma surgery, and by the time I started to feel as a middle level resident, my second and third year resident, I'm learning how to do operations and getting more in depth with different things. The idea of seeing a patient, diagnosing them, and then doing a procedure is no longer something that I can't wrap my mind around. So basically the shine started to wear off a little bit. I started to um, kind of look for different types of things within surgery that I might like better. So I started exploring fields like vascular surgery or other subspecialties. And I fell into um, a rotation on plastic surgery in my third year of, of what I was doing in general surgery and um, found myself just completely intellectually absorbed in what it was to put things back together. And so, so much of what we did in surgery was like, if somebody comes in with a tumor, we cut it out. If somebody comes in with a hole in their intestine, we cut it out and we remove it. And certainly in plastic surgery, what we want to do is, you know, fix things and reconnect things just like you do with an intestine or something else. But it was the act of putting things back together um, that was like a, just like, wow, it's like a, a lightning bolt, mm -hmm. you know? And so um, I spent some time with plastic surgeons that did a lot of facial reconstruction and facial trauma. And I remember taking care of a patient 
who had a nose cancer and the, the entire nose was removed. And we re rebuilt the nose in stages of surgery. And we took a piece of skin from the forehead and rotated it down. And it's kind of one of those hardcore reconstruction principles of surgery that goes back centuries. Mm -hmm. and, and I just remember thinking, if I can put people back together um, and, and do some, something to make them more normal, um, then I think I'm going to be really happy for a long time. And so when we were on the cancer service, I found myself spending time with the plastic surgeons after we'd done the mastectomy, which was completely mm -hmm. unusual. So for most of us, we would go in with our professors, we take out the breast cancer, and then our part was done. And if there was plastic surgery to reconstruct things, the plastic surgery professor would come in, and they typically were alone. And so I started kind of sticking my neck out there and asking if I could stay, and asking my professors if it's okay, if I could learn how to stitch a little better. And I found that process repeating itself, that we were putting things back together. We were then making things more whole wasn't just subtracted, right? Mm -hmm. And so it was a very restorative mindset. Um, and then the people I met were kind of more my type of thinkers. So I think people get labeled in plastic surgery as an artist or creative, mm -hmm. but I, I think that that's overly simplistic. I don't think you have to be that way, but I, I think that you have to be somebody um, that um, kind of is always persistent restorative and I think people who do things like woodworking or people who do things like refinishing or restorative antiques are very much in the same way mm -hmm. they look at something that once was the way it used to be and maybe it has rust or it's lost its paint and you want to bring it back and, and I think I found myself in that space yeah. feeling like I brought something you know back to life and for me, that was a happier um, side of medicine. Um, and that just kept showing itself. Whereas, you know, things like car accidents or telling somebody that their test results mm -hmm. had yielded something that was bad that we had to treat um, was emotionally very taxing for me. And um, so I think that was a welcome shift um, that re-energized me. And it just made me say, I, I think I'll like this better. Mm -hmm. And so in the world of life, you, you pick away mm -hmm. and then you just start going, yeah. you know? So, you know, I think I could have been happy doing a lot of things, whether it be cardiac surgery or pediatric surgery. Um, but this is what I ended up doing. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's been a lot of fun. So I think that that's the thing. It's always been a partnership with my patients mm -hmm. and it's always about making things better, um, Essentially, we get to pick how we partner together more than not, which is cool. Um, can you speak a little bit on any mentorship opportunities you had in residency or maybe fellowship that impacted you? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, I think it's the way that you find somebody you can communicate with. And, and there, there, there are people you'll meet that will strip things away and make certain topics feel comfortable. Um, which is difficult as a student um, and for me um, definitely in my medical school days I worked with a guy named Dr. Miller who followed me all through general surgery residency and called me the day I matched in plastic surgery residency which was literally six years after the day I last left his rotation mm -hmm. it had been a long time mm -hmm. probably many students before and after um, and so we kind of jived about a lot of different things. And so he tried to get me to like plastic surgery when I was a student, and I just wasn't having it. I thought I was gonna be more involved in something that was kind of trauma, and that felt more blood and guts and more mm -hmm. meaningful. And I mean, there was almost, from my point of view, looking back on it, this almost attitude that, that was um, gonna be more impactful mm -hmm. and exciting. And as it turns out, um, I ended up falling into plastic surgery in the middle of my general surgery training, which was very trauma heavy. Yeah. So it was, you know, I, I think that sometimes you vibrate at the frequency of other people and you can sense it and that's worth exploring. So mm -hmm. when you see that, and they don't have to be a plastic surgeon, they can be somebody else, 
that's very worthwhile. And I think that the second really key figure for me in general surgery was a pediatric surgeon. And, and I mean, looked after me. I felt like I was his son, mm-hmm. actually. And, uh, and so, uh, and when we took care of kids and met with families and it was very much a plastic surgeon's mindset in many ways. Um, and the procedures are sometimes in small spaces, a little bit more delicate mm-hmm. um, than operating on like the large intestine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I felt a connection to that. And all of them encouraged me in a very simplistic way um, to try and say why I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And then without any barriers, just go for it. Mm-hmm. So they were, I think, a non-judgmental, safe place. And I think that's what people can't fake. I mean, somebody can be assigned a mentor. Um, somebody can say that they want to be a certain subspecialty. But they come in unexpected ways, mm-hmm. so I guess. Um, so, I mean, in, in medical training is not short. Um, and it doesn't matter if you do surgery or non-surgery. There's a lot of time in it before you finally, quote unquote, get your first job, mm-hmm. right? So for me, I felt like my first job uh, wasn't like the day I got residency. I mean, like, that was basically an extension of my education. Mm-hmm. Um, and every day is like that. But I mean, I was 35 years old when I finished all of my residencies mm-hmm. and basically got my first private paying job. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so I think there's a lot of time between the day you start medical school and the day your first job begins. And having an open mind, but I mean, you know, do you believe in intuition? A little bit, yeah. I think everyone has like their own. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, so I think when I talk to patients, mm-hmm. so like when I talk to my wife or I talk mm-hmm. to female patients, they use the word intuition. Mm-hmm. And then when I talk to guys, they say the word their gut. Okay. And we're really talking about the same <laughs> thing. And I think that you have to follow that intuition. And I think um, if you, you know, don't get blinded by what everybody else tells you you're supposed to think or you're supposed to be your intuition is is a good kind of fail safe it's like a check and balance right mm-hmm. and it can make you say this is why i like doing what i'm doing with my time yeah. there's probably no more valuable piece of information anyone can get right yeah. and i don't know um, if i'm expressing it the right way or not no, i think you are but um so when you tap into that, you have to take a pause to see those kinds of things. And um, those, those, those things will just, they'll be like magic. They will mm-hmm. help you. Um, and they'll be the kind of people that you say, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. I need you to support me in this. It won't feel uh, like a burden. And usually the people that you, you know, vibrate with well are going to want to help. Right. They're not going to be like, oh, let me see if I can get to it. It's yeah. going to be okay, what do you want? Where do you want to go? Yeah. And, uh, and so um, I think that the, those things are organic. Um, you just figure them out mm-hmm. by doing you. Like, you go out, you go to school, try and be the best student you can be and balance the rest of life around it. You try and be the best resident you can be. You try and be the best doctor balance all that rest of that out mm-hmm. and then it just becomes an additive version like you are this expression of what your values are how you show up and there's a consistency in it and it, it doesn't require anything else. yeah um so can you speak on that first job out how did it shape you to be the surgeon that you are today and then how did it lead you to opening this practice yeah so you know it's always Kind of interesting to talk about these different things and one of the things about being in medicine is that many people will leave their residency training and for a lot of people there's a couple of things that influence where they were going to be one is where they did their training mm-hmm. so like if you train in a city you usually went there because you like the city mm-hmm. and you usually end up staying there because you like the city in the first place mm-hmm. but the other big pull is like where your spouse or significant other is from and 
so for me, um, we ended up coming back to where my wife grew up, which is Fort Worth, mm -hmm. which is the, the main reason I am here. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted us to, you know, have our family close and to be in a situation um, where my kids would see their grandparents thousands and thousands of times. Um, and that was very important um, to both me and to my wife. So we came here, and I was lucky that um, there was a, a practice, a group that was going to be able to give me a job, was mm -hmm. willing to do it. Because if you think about it, you're leaving training, you're trained, but what else do you have to say for it? And so, um, so I'm, I'm going to look back on that and you know, forever be grateful. And the thing is, is that it gave me a place to start. It gave me a place to learn about simple things about like how I wanted my exam room chair and what kind of lighting was important to me in a way where I finally controlled some variables. Mm -hmm. So when I work in a university hospital or under another professor, I just use what they have. I just do what they give me. Mm -hmm. And then now you're in a situation where you go, well, this is the light I want. This is the kind of scissor I want. This is the kind of band-aid I want. And all of a sudden, there's all these kinds of, I mean, it's not hard to order a Band-Aid, yeah. but it's surprising how making a decision like that can um, force you to think about things you never did before. Mm -hmm. And then you learn certain things about what it costs and how much utility you get out of it. So you learn how to run your business. And that was what I learned in the first job I had. Um, and I think I love a lot of that. And for four years, that's what I did. I, was, I stayed within that group setting. And it became a situation where my practice became more focused in certain areas. And I wanted to be able to control everything from the environment, the types of cases I was doing, even to the, the marketing and location and where I operated and worked. And I wasn't able to do that within my group setting. So there's nothing bad to say about that other than if you have a decision about what that is um, some folks are happy mm -hmm. having things managed for them which is a hospital type of job or a group setting type of job and then I think there's other folks that I learned about myself in a somewhat uncomfortable way is, is that I do want control mm -hmm. um, and the fact that I'm a surgeon and I like control is kind of a relevant principle. <laughs> so you, you, you end up doing things and, and the treatment is the result of the work yeah. that you do. It's not randomly giving medicine and, and seeing how you respond over 90 days. So with surgery, there's such a significant cause and effect mm -hmm. to your treatment and then the patient's outcome. Um, it can be you know, incredibly rewarding can also be incredibly frustrating if you don't get the result you want. Yeah. Whereas with you know certain other types of things where you're waiting for medicines to take effect or um, to set into the right amount over the right period of time, you have to sit back and wait and let other variables control your outcome. So it requires a different mindset in that way or another. And so for me, I wanted complete control over that arm and I was willing to take the risks that came with it, which is the risks of hiring people, the risks of finding a place to create a building, and so on and so forth. And so I would say that in plastic surgery, there's opportunity to do that. It's different than traditional group and hospital-based medicine. That makes it both unique and also potentially scary. Um, and so and my wife and I talk about this a lot, but I, we call ourselves accidental entrepreneurs <laughs> because we didn't really understand what we wanted to control until we said, well, these are the things we want to do with our practice. Mm -hmm. and, you know, we want to explore these types of technologies. And so all of those decisions um, require time, money, energy, interest, and people have to be aligned in your team. Yeah. So that means like the nurses that work for me have to understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. And that means that if I'm gonna buy a laser for resurfacing, if I work with other people, I have to understand like why I wanna buy it, and who's gonna cover all those costs. 
And when I have just myself to answer to you, I can make those decisions independently. And when you have like a hospital board or a group that you work with together, you can share financial responsibility, but there is um, a you know certain inertia in proving your point to different people to make mm -hmm. sure that everybody's aligned. And so both come with benefits and both come with some degree of potential risk or drawback. Mm -hmm. And for me, um, I just knew the direction I wanted to go in. Um, so there's a boldness in that, but it's what I wanted to do. And um, I think that's, for me, the right thing. I have other friends of mine who are very, very risk averse, and they're happy not pursuing certain avenues in their practice mm -hmm. if it means that they don't have to have mm -hmm. that stress of certain types of risk. Yeah. So I didn't know that in medical school. I didn't know that in training. I didn't even know that in my first quote unquote real job post training. Right. I think it's something I figured out um, as I got closer to being 40. Yeah. yeah. So in retrospect, is there anything you wish you knew before you had opened your practice? Besides maybe the yeah, the I risk think anybody that says that they they, they 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 you know had it all figured out and you know planned and, and everything went in perfect order, um, probably doesn't have full recall. Mm -hmm. You know, and I mean, I think you know, I wish I would have appreciated what it means to dedicate energy to certain additional projects outside of the practice of medicine. And so I was able to figure out when I wanted to have my meetings with people who were doing real estate or building and designing and doing architect work for our office or where I'm going to put certain devices or plugs and different kinds of configurations. Um, and you know, the time I think was allocated for um, appropriately, but there's no accounting for what the additive exposure of energy yeah. is gonna be. So you're in the operating room all day, and then you, you, you finish a full day's work, mm -hmm. and then it's time to continue the next chapter of your next project. Um, I think the thing that's helped me with that is whenever you look back on, on training, if you do anything like a research project or any kind of mentoring, those are things that are something else mm -hmm. um, that shows up in addition to the full day's work, right? Right. And they have to bring you energy. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it's luckily they did, but I think that it was impossible to either guess or describe what that would be. Mm -hmm. like. um, and I think um, you've got to give yourself couple of breaks. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that for me, I, I probably went a little bit too hardcore yeah. uh, in terms of just keeping my foot on the gas, getting the projects done. And then ultimately, you, you feel drained on your free times. And so I can, you know, recall a couple of vacations where all I did was, you know, kind of chill out and not do much. And, yeah. You know, a day where I'm planning to go fishing and I just don't even feel the energy to get in the boat. Yeah. And so um, it's just because, you know, you've got to have some time to recharge. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's the fields of medicine, like all of the subspecialties, um, they will um, be a, a service type of calling, which is amazing. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, you have to be self aware enough realize it'll take as much from you as you allow it mm -hmm. to take. So you have to have some boundaries. I think so along the way, I've learned what are good personal boundaries for me, whether it be sleep, whether it be exercise, mm -hmm. just general time with my family. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think managing those um, and is, is, I think, the one thing I would change more than anything else. Um, cannot underestimate the um, unpredictability of certain things like financing, banking, building. And so I think that the other thing that you can never plan for is um, 
patience. Uh, and then uh, try and build out a, a circle of you know trusted advisors that is away from the natural nucleus, like other doctors, yeah. right? So the natural tendency is for us to stay within our same deep end. And I think that one of the things that's been most rewarding about leading a group practice, forming my own board and forming my own operating is it forced me to get to know people that are in real estate, that are in construction, mm -hmm. that are in design. And we just have different conversations. Um, and I wish I would have thought about how to educate and meet those kinds of people and uh, make time for that in my life earlier. Yeah. And so you just, say that yeah. you know everyone talks about like you know, how you're gonna plan your building and what, what kind of you know air conditioning HVAC I mean very technical things and those things happen no matter how long you plan for them but uh, building out those sophisticated relationships in fields outside of your everyday mm -hmm. is super valuable yeah. And so if you're young in your medical career, you don't have to be classes here. Um, find some folks that you like doing things with, like whether it's travel, okay? Maybe find some people that you're involved in a church with that, that don't do what you do. Mm -hmm. um, get to know them. Um, for a lot of guys that go on hunting trips, for a, a lot of girls that go on girls trips. You know, so I think if I look back on it, I would have tried to expand that circle broadly earlier. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you know, now it's, it's a kind of a new priority. Mm -hmm. It's like, who am I going to be spending my time with? Um, and uh, I think that has been a lesson from being exposed to this. And had I known more and had more of those people in my circle or sphere earlier, I think certain things would have um, been probably smooth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you speak a little bit on how you learned to market yourself, considering these are all elective procedures? And yeah, I mean, I don't even know how I'm doing now. Yeah. So, Good. Um, so, I mean, I think the word marketing is an interesting concept. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, when you're in any kind of business, okay, and let's make no mistake about it. Um, healthcare for forever has been held up as a calling, a service, and it truly is. Um, but uh, there's also a side of it that's practical. And I think that we're at a crossroads in our lifetime where we've seen things like government healthcare become more um, part of the discussion that everybody has concerns about. It used to be that you would just get sick and the doctor would take care of it. And it was this kind of blanket trust mm -hmm. in hospitals and in the field of medicine. And I think over time, um, it's become clear that it's very complicated. Um, so you have to be able to be good at your craft and have belief in what you're doing. You know, so I think marketing stems from um, deeply held confidence, which is a belief um, that things are going to done for the, for the better in, in, a, in a positive way. And um, so to that end, um, I'd like to think of things, whether I offer something to a patient, whether it's a surgical procedure or a non-invasive treatment in my med spa world, mm -hmm. it's very important to me that treatments are helpful, meaning that they work, mm -hmm. uh, that they do things that I think are predictable and in line with what my expectations might be and what the patient's expectations are. And uh, so seeing that kind of cause and effect, like I, I have this concern. And uh, so then I create a solution and it, it improves that concern. Um, that has to be something that is concrete and consistent. Uh, and then that creates the belief. And I think when um, that builds up, you know, the marketing side of it is just a reflection of the energy that you 
you were into it. So, um, I mean, in my practice, 80% of the people I see are moms. Mm -hmm. And I didn't just start practice and say, hey, I take care of moms. Yeah. Right? And I, to this day, I do. And, and the reason that people find me is that their areas of frustration match solutions in which I offer. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, you know, so you take a step back from that, people that come to find me, um, find me because it's their concern, it's their, it's their discussion, it's their frustration. And so um, I don't have any billboards, and you know, certainly we have things like website and other things like that, but a lot of what um, my team and I do um, comes from what we generate. We create our website, right? Mm -hmm. so, and we create our Facebook and our Instagram profile. And our before and afters are our own cases. So, you know, sometimes you'll drive down a freeway and you'll see a billboard, of like a result of a laser or some mm -hmm. machine and some flexed ad, somebody else's work, right? So, you know, when, when people come to our clinic, um, and they ask for you know things like how is my face going to look after Botox or how is my belly button going to look after Tonica? We have not one or two, but literally hundreds of examples, and so it's a complete cause and effect to the concern being treated. It's a confidence we have that they're going to get a consistent outcome, and um, over time, you know, it's just it's what we live. It's just we wake up, um, we know what we're capable. And we're going to do things that we would do to ourselves and to our own family members. And so I think it goes back to that. And then that makes the marketing become organic. Yeah. So it flows from within you. Yeah. It's very difficult to sit down, um, turn on a camera, mm -hmm. or um, get like a magazine picture and write a paragraph about why people should come to see you for right. like a tummy tuck. Yeah. How do you approach that? And um, so um, I think when you see a before and after and some description of what was involved with the procedure and a timeline, there's like a storytelling element, right? So there is a problem. Mm -hmm. So immediately you're confronted with loose skin or an aging neck. Mm -hmm. You offer a facelift or a neck lift, and then you show a result that three months later looks like a completely refreshed person. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the person that's coming forward with all this stuff um, presents itself just like a movie. So if you watch a movie, any good movie, you're typically going to watch something. It's going to be a romance movie or like an action movie or a drama, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say it's like a romance movie. You're going to be introduced to the characters, and somebody is going to be trying to get somebody to marry them or date them within the first 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then somebody shows up and says, here's how I'm going to propose. Here's how I'm going to make this work out. The solution to all of this stuff is the rest of the story. And then the conclusion is the main characters, you know, mm -hmm. having their relationship, falling in love and having the romance, right? And so if we think about that, um, those kinds of things really lend themselves to what happens in my world as a plastic surgeon. So patients show up and they're like, I cannot deal with this stubborn skin mm -hmm. um, around my waist and then we propose a solution in which we describe what we're going to do and show in different phases sometimes early sometimes late and we show a solution and that's typically backed up a lot of times by a positive review or something else like that yeah and at the end of it the patient is the ultimate thing. right um, but you know we're just a supporting counselor yeah. And I think that's every single interaction that we have. And so that, in and of itself, every time it's captured, is the marketing that we want. Um, and I'm not telling somebody that, you know, they have to get this medicine or this vaccine or anything else like that. It really um, is a really um, just natural form of storytelling. Mm -hmm. And um, that is fun. And so, so when, so that's when you're thinking about things. It's fun. I think when I think of traditional marketing, it's like almost yeah. a dirty word, yeah. right? Because to me, marketing means I am going to take a 
a lot of money and resources and tell people why they should spend more of their money on this particular product. Mm -hmm. And and so that happens when you watch a TV commercial. It happens when you drive by a billboard. And so I think for me, we definitely market our practice in the sense that we engage in storytelling mm -hmm. of what kind of services we offer. Um, and then the patients who find us find us organically. A lot of times a patient sends another friend or mm -hmm. a family member as a referral. A lot of times a, a blog group will get together and will describe their experiences. And those experiences are, are long-ranging. They're not just like, hey, Dr. Camp did a great surgery and my stitches are so clean and my, my, everything healed beautifully. They are, they were so informative uh, and thorough. They were kind when they checked me in. They took care of me when I was after surgery and feeling like I was struggling a little bit or I was having some pain or I was just exhausted and having trouble sleeping. So it's a longitudinal story arc. It goes from the minute that they walk in here, how their procedures perform, how they're taken care of afterwards. And then ultimately, I think, you know, by and large, the results um, end up speaking for themselves. So I mean, it's, I watched golf yesterday. Mm -hmm. The Masters. <laughs> it's Easter. We're watching Masters, right? So I'm watching all of these commercials come on. And there's this guy selling this thing that you can buy like a six pack of and it makes pet odors go away in your house, right? And then there's this other guy selling this stuff that holds two pieces together and it's like he's gluing a boat to something together and it's mm -hmm. holding it together. And so, you know, or the guy that sells the pillows, yeah. you see them, you know, so you see all these kinds of things and they're just people trying to basically almost get in your face about uh, that and it creates awareness and then people say, sure, I'll, I'll try it. Where I think that um, definitely plastic surgery, once you see an exposed body part yeah. and it's changed forever, I mean, that, yeah. that is in your face, but different. Mm -hmm. Like, so we're not gonna put it, you know, in that in your face style um, that you see with traditional marketing. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just going to challenge that by saying the reason that I think we can do it is because we believe in it. Yeah. And we can keep doing it because for me, it's storytelling. It's just me talking to somebody about what I do day in, day out. Mm -hmm. And um, that, that in and of itself is its own form of, of marketing. Yeah. And so I think that's what's fun about medicine. Yeah. So, like, we can still do it that way. Some of these other subspecialty hospitals is a little different. Yeah, you see billboards, you see different things like that. And so um, so I've been happy that that for me isn't what I have to do. Maybe someday I will. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not here to criticize <laughs> anything else. Uh, but um, for us, that's what's happened. And so when a patient's excited, it makes me excited. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, a, it's an additive, synergistic wheel that keeps turning. Yeah. So you've touched on it a little bit with social media and it's great because people get to basically see sure. your storytelling by swiping on their phone. Um, and in general, plastic surgery, I think, is more accessible to the public now. People are definitely more open to talking about it yeah. and they can see images and whatnot. Um, how has social media influenced just your consultations and managing expectations with patients? I think sometimes a lot of patients will come in with a picture of Bella Hadid or whoever they want to look like. Yeah. Um, how has that just impacted the way you speak with your patients and how to manage them? No, um, I think um, it has, um, without question, ramped up the ability to communicate um, with patients on things that matter. Mm -hmm. And so, so a couple different things. One, I think social media is not just an opportunity to just do plastic surgery. And I think if, you know, people spend time following what we do, a lot of it is our business. But then there's other things that I'm doing. So whether I'm um, socially doing something, trying a new restaurant, um, or, you know, taking my dog for a walk, there's just a general introduction into the general way somebody speaks and they carry themselves. So it's a, it's a non-threatening way for people to feel like they know who you are yeah. and what matters to you. And so the things that I think stand out is, is that um, we're just like anybody else. 
we struggle. Sometimes we can't get our kids dressed. Um, sometimes, you know, we've got problems with our dog. Uh, sometimes something goes wrong with my house, right? And so I think that there's a component to just being a normal person that sometimes people forget that doctors yeah. are normal people too. So there's a relatable concept to that. And I want my patients to feel like uh, they're going to be taking care of somebody that realizes that they're a person. Mm -hmm. It's not just some other job to do. Um, so that part helps. Um, the ability to understand the story. Uh, so not only the result, but the motivation. Sometimes we don't get a chance to talk to patients about how they felt. Um, they can experience what it's like to be through the phases of recovery. Mm -hmm. They can see in real time if there's a lot of bruising. Mm -hmm. They can see if patients are in pain. Uh, and um, it's one thing to say it and be told it. It's another thing to just say, I just watched that. That looks exactly like what I want to do. And that seems so doable. Yeah. And so I think it's made um, my consultations easier. And that's interesting because it took years for our social media content to become essentially the library that it is now. And so it's, if you think of each thing that you do on social media, it's like a mini little project or just like, you know, if you're a medical student and somebody asks you to present the patient, it can take you some time to think about, mm -hmm. hey, um, this is what I normally do, this is known I would like. Now here's what the information I'm gonna gather is, here's the way I'm gonna present it, and then I hope my plan is accurate, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, 1,500 times every time you do that, for example, like the number of posts we yeah. have on Instagram or something, it starts to build up, so it's not just a one-time thing. Um, and I think patients um, just have an inherent trust um, you can say I do hundreds of these procedures. Well, now they're looking at it, mm -hmm. and they're looking at several different cases, and so that they feel like there's a comfort level um, in who they're seeing as a human being and their capabilities. Mm -hmm. It's no longer, gosh, I hope this works out. Yeah. And so um, for me, that's opened up a spectrum of patients that probably I've never found, uh, not this soon or this early in my career. Um, and uh, so I, I think it, and it's made it much more conversational. Um, and, you know, to, to the question about celebrities. So it's a really interesting thing because I think if you can communicate about what it is and it's something that's kind of related to the patient's concern and it relates to the surgical interventions mm -hmm. um, and you realize that it's a healthy discussion, that's very helpful. Um, and at the same time, you see that somebody is clearly pursuing things in an imbalanced way. Maybe they have body dysmorphia. They're trying to be somebody else. They don't have a true sense of their identity. And so I think what we pride ourselves in and what we say in our tagline is we want to make people the most authentic versions of themselves. We're not trying to make them anybody else, and they can't be. Mm -hmm. So when you have plastic surgery, any kind of plastic surgery should emulate and balance and highlight the natural beauty that anybody holds within themselves. Um, and ultimately, that leads to a confident, more fulfilled life. And so I think all of them are potentially good. And when we see a huge mismatch, mm -hmm. like somebody that's just clearly chasing a celebrity look or a new hyped up fad, like overdone lips that are expansively yeah. large, or an incredibly tightly pulled face, um, things that are just clearly not everyday natural, it allows us to say, you know, what we're comfortable doing as providers. And it sometimes is great because it prevents you from getting into a treatment relationship yeah. um, with a patient that probably doesn't need plastic surgery. Mm -hmm. um, they just need to kind of figure out their own authentic selves first. And then plastic surgery comes in. Yeah. Um, so final question, what or how have you kind of kept up with your education, new yeah. trends, that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, we, we touched on this earlier, and I think it's, it's energy, mm -hmm. and, and it's also previous mentors. And I, I remember very, very, very uh, clearly being told, 
as I was getting through my general surgery residencies that it was going to be really important to always kind of have your eyes up mm -hmm. and understand what was going on because if I went into practice and 5, 10, 15 years into practice, I was doing things exactly the way that I was trained, then I was going to be number one behind, number two disappointed. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's very valuable. And I think that you're a, a lifelong student in any field of medicine that you go into. And so for, for us, there's things that have changed in the way that we do all the procedures that I do mm -hmm. um, that are uh, not a complete uh, you know, departure from what we're trained. They're just different ways that are kind of additive refinements to decide how and what you want certain things to uh, be for your patients. Mm -hmm. And drugs change over time, so that happens outside of the field of surgery. Mm -hmm. um, access to certain types of procedures change, like whether you're gonna do them robotically or mm -hmm. minimally invasively with cameras, or you know, what's the risk reward different approaches and um, so I think if you are focused on you know quality you know and that, that, that's an internal question that comes from like a sense of pride and then there's a sense of responsibility which is what are you going to give your patients so it's 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 more than one thing mm -hmm. and most people that go into medicine have pride I mean they're going to want to try and do well in school they want to get good and that comes from a variety of different reasons, but ultimately, you, you want to, you know, take pride in the work you do and other things like that. And then, you know, when it's just your grade, that's mm -hmm. only one arm of the, the thing. Right. When the responsibility is, is that the quality of what you do changes somebody else's life, I think it makes it easy. And, and so when people talk about, like, what's the right motivation, what's the, you know, you're doing things for the right way. It's not about more money. It's not about more procedures. It's not about more revenue and more dollars. It's, you know, what, what pride do you take in your work, right? And what responsibility do you assign to the work that you're doing for everybody else that mm -hmm. comes into that sphere? And, you know, we all have to deal with that when we deal with something like medicine because essentially, you know, we're having to deal with that kind of equation. You want to do the highest quality work you can. And as time goes on, we don't always get healthier. We don't always get better. And so it doesn't really matter um, how high quality the work you do is. There's always going to be some point where you may have a complication or an issue. And I think that um, people worry about those kinds of things, but they worry about them for the wrong reason. So, and, and the reason is responsibility. So if you stay dedicated to quality and you stay dedicated to responsibility, um, those two things line themselves up quite nicely. Mm -hmm. And um, patients understand when you're connected to them. And so part of sharing yourself as a person, your personal stories, it's not immediately comfortable. And there's a lot of times where I just say, not today. Mm -hmm. right? um, I decided it's a better way to be a better doctor for me. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think it's been very helpful to my practice in the sense that it's opened up patients to me, sometimes from different states, different countries. So they see something, and something says to them that this is a way in which someone is communicating what they do that feels like me. Yeah. And, you know, so they have that, that terminology in social media called so me, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like short for social media. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it's this kind of almost double entendre where it's connecting to some other individual that you've never met, maybe thousands of miles away. Um, and I think that ripple effect of social media is just completely unbelievable. It allows you to do what you want to do, wherever you want to be able to do it, at a very high level. And so if you say, well, I want to do X, Y, or Z, and I have to move to a certain big city, to get this accomplished, I don't think that's true anymore. And I, I think that it's it's taken down traditional walls um, and uh, just made that component um, a more free marketplace. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, when you see all those kinds of things, you realize that 
You know, your only limit is yourself, your ability to communicate, your ability to deliver. Um, that to me is the, the driving energy. That's why I educate myself. Um, so I go to meetings. Um, and for me, mentorship didn't stop in school or residency. And so some mentors that I have today are practicing surgeons mm -hmm. that are either exactly my age or maybe just a few years in front of me. And I've had people come visit me and spend time with me in my operating room from different states, mm -hmm. different places. And I've been the same. So, and so for me, I, I think it was really important to find out who I think the world experts are, yeah. identify that, um, figure out what they're doing and how, spend time with them if you can one-on-one. And, and, and I, I do that at least once a year, mm -hmm. um, sometimes more. Um, and so, um, that, um, you know, you can look at it a bunch of different ways. You're like, man, when, when am I going to be done with this? And, and I, I would say that it's that's the fun part of it. Like, you always get to keep doing it. You always get to keep getting better. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my mindset's really simple. I want to um, get better every day. So, I mean, the first thing I think about is, in what way am I going to get Sometimes I'm focusing on what you know I'm going to educate my patients on in terms of how they take their medicines and why it's important. Mm -hmm. It could be pain control, it could be antibiotics, it could be any number of different things. And then in addition to trying to get better every day, I want to be people that are in the same mindset. Mm -hmm. So I want to be getting better every day and I want to be around people with good energy that I like being around. And so for me that's one of the main reasons at controlling my own environment so yeah. important. So, and, and so um, it's just that simple. So mm -hmm. I just want to get better every day and be around great people that I enjoy spending time with. Love that. Any parting words for our medical students? Yeah, I mean, um, I think, you know, um, you know, really explore doing what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And I think as I look back on medical school, there's a, a lot of what I would call criteria-based decision-making. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, what do you want to do in job? What kind of house do you want to buy? Who do you want to date? You know, people have all these ideas about what they can and can't do. Mm -hmm. And I would say, if that is the overwhelming noise, it's only going to get in the way of everything else, right? So. You know, they say, who are your mentors? Find who will get good advice from. Mm -hmm. To a certain extent, one of the best things you can do is not listen to anybody. Yeah. And so that gets back to intuition or gut. And so uh, we talked a lot about my advisors and mentors, and certainly that's a part of it. But if you think you want to do something, check that out. And it doesn't mean that you just get to show up and say, hey, I want to be an orthopedic surgeon. Mm -hmm. And they don't say back to you, well, you can't get in right now. Your grades aren't this, your grades aren't that. And then, so, so ask yourself, how bad do you want to be a plastic surgeon, an orthopedic surgeon, or a cardiologist, right? And if the solution is, this is what you've got to do to try and do it, and you still say, I want to be this, mm -hmm. then, then keep going. I think a lot of people um, put these artificial timelines on it yeah. and say, I, residency's three years or five years. Make it six, you know? Do something extra. And don't tell yourself you wasted your time. That's the other thing I see happening a lot. People say, well, I don't want to waste my time. No one wants to waste their time. But the biggest waste of time is not being who you want to be. Mm -hmm. And so some of that is the job we choose. And a lot of it is other things. Surround ourselves with. So I, I would say, you know, not everyone graduates number one in their medical school class, right? Not everybody gets to do just whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it. And that's a normal thing. Mm -hmm. So if you find yourself thinking, this is what my passion, this is what my interest is, find a way to express it such that somebody gives you a chance to do it. And, and I think you can do that. And I think anybody that goes to medical school can figure out how to do that. Mm -hmm. The sooner you figure it out, the quicker your pathway to that will be. 
but by no means is it a you know deal breaker. And so I think, especially for students in their first and second year of medical school, you know your grades start to build up and they kind of create this. I don't know. For certain people, I think you know gateway of what they think they should and shouldn't do in terms of your specialty. Think about what you want to do. Think about what you like spending your time with, and um, work backwards from that above all else. That was beautifully said. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you for your time. I know sure. our students will love this episode. Um, anything else? Anything no, else? let's do it again. Okay.